After my grandmom died a year ago, my grandfather became a bit of a recluse. The last time I'd seen him was at Thanksgiving. His tired eyes and weak smile made it clear that he wasn't coping well. He'd been with my grandmother since high school, so when she passed away from heart failure, his heart seems to have died too. I did my best to lift his spirits in the few brief phone conversations I initiated, but it was no use. It was clear he'd already cashed out. Grandpa had become a shut-in, rarely leaving his home. We received a phone call a few weeks ago. My grandpa was dead. The neighbors saw him hanging by his neck through the bedroom window. After a very somber funeral, consoling my mother who would not stop crying, we were informed about his will. A lawyer set up an appointment a few days afterward. My mother received all of his savings and stocks. I hadn't been too close with him, so I was a bit surprised when the lawyer read my name off as the one to inherit his house. As if it wasn't peculiar enough, I also received an envelope. I was instructed by the lawyer, as per my grandfather's request, to read in private and not share the contents with anybody. I nodded when the lawyer asked me if I understood, and I accepted the letter. I waited until the formality had finished to look over the letter. So many questions arose when I tore open the sealed envelope and read the folded letter within. Dear grandson, I want to apologize for leaving you this burden, but I fear your mother may be too stubborn to fulfill my requests. She's strong-headed and a bit of a snoop, bless her heart. I just need to know that what needs to be done will be without hesitation and without compromise. I need you to cement over the door in the basement of the home I'm leaving you. I need you to do it alone, not with any help from friends, family, or contractors. Do not mention the door or the walling over of it to anyone. Now I must warn you, you may hear strange things down there. You might see things that don't make sense. No matter what you think you see or hear, you must ignore it. I know we were never too close, but I promise you I'm a good man. And because I am a good man, I need to make sure that door is sealed up and inaccessible. The less you know, the better. In the basement are all the supplies you'll need. I know it's a lot of work, but you need to take care of this. And your mother can't know about it. Just tell her I gave you a check and wanted the sum to be private if she asks about the letter. I wish I'd known you better. Don't wait, Albert. I felt queasy reading Grandpa's last request. It seemed like paranoid rambling, and it filled me with trepidation. What had he kept down there? Visions of filthy magazines or a sex dungeon flickered in my mind for a second before I let out a nervous chuckle. He was a straight-laced, stand-up guy. A retired businessman with a penchant for fly fishing. I tried to wrap my head around why I'd received such a peculiar request, but finally accepted the fact that whatever secret he might be hiding, I'd let it die with him. That all changed a week later as I drove up to the home my grandpa had bequeathed to me. My eyebrows raised as I turned into the driveway and I got a clear view of the house. It looked rather expensive, albeit a bit small. It was a stone two-story home, quaint and welcoming despite the shaggy, overgrown lawn. The windows and roof had all been fixed up in the last decade, but the actual structure was likely a few hundred years old. I unlocked the door and couldn't help but smile. It dawned on me then. 
I was an actual homeowner with a beautiful old house just an hour from the city. No more renting out shoebox apartments or hearing sex sounds or terrible music from the neighbors. I walked through the sunlit house, checking out the two bathrooms, one with a tub, living room, and dining room. I paused at Grandpa's room, staring at the wooden beam. I continued on, a bit shaken, but I smiled again when I spotted the fireplace. I then thought back to the Rizar request in that private letter when I discovered the door leading down to the basement. It creaked open and I flicked the light switch, lighting up the concrete floor at the bottom of the stairs. I descended, hearing the steps groan and creak under my weight. There were some dusty tarps and a stack of bricks, as well as a few 80-pound bags of quick-set cement and a bag of tools to use it. I reached the bottom step, and then I saw the door. It was on the far wall of the basement. A framed wooden door, dead center. Questions immediately rose. What did it lead to? Based on the dimensions of the basement and the house above, the door should technically lead to a space outside of the home itself. I approached it scanning for any kind of detail that might give light to what lay within, but finding none. It was just a standard white painted wooden door with a brass handle, an antique style keyhole. So this is what he wanted me to cover up. My stomach squirmed at the thought of it. Where did it lead to? What was so important to keep encased in concrete and forgotten? My mind wandered to some dark places. I envisioned a body. I shook my head vigorously as if trying to physically banish these terrible thoughts from my head. But then, I heard a whimper. A muffled, high-pitched crying was coming from the other side of the door. I nearly collapsed in horror at the revelation. Someone was inside. Hello? Is someone in there? The panic in my voice was impossible to hide. I listened to the sniffling, then after a few seconds, I heard a response. Hello. Oh, thank God somebody came. I thought this was the end. Can you please let me out? A woman's voice. I felt sick as my mind flooded with horror. Somebody was locked away down here. I covered my mouth with my hand and my eyes flooded with tears. It was horrible. I'm here. Don't worry. I'm going to get you out. I then froze and remembered the letter tucked in my jacket pocket to make sure I didn't miss anything. I pulled out the paper, unfolded it, and skimmed some details which only then stood out. I need to warn you, you may hear strange things down there. You might see things that don't make sense. No matter what you think you see or hear, you must ignore it. Visions of some devil locked behind that door was conjured in my mind. Grinning fangs through which that delicate feminine voice spoke. A monster awaiting a meal of a fool. Who, who are you? I asked, my voice shaken from the tremors. My name is Clara Almonico. I was abducted by someone with a pistol. I didn't see their face, I promise you. Please, it's been so long. Months, maybe years. The food has begun to rot since they stopped coming down here. I've gotten sick trying to eat it. <laughs> Please. The tears were flowing down my face in warm streams that cooled from the dusty air. I removed my cell phone and quickly searched the name she'd spoken. 
My heart plunged into my stomach as a photo came up in the search results. A photo of a smiling brunette, 19-year-old who'd gone missing nearly a year ago from Marshfield, the neighboring town. I looked back to the note, scouring my resolve for any possible reason to trust the vague scribblings of my dead grandfather and not the clear, visible proof of an abducted teenager who was begging me to save her life. There was a large gap under the door, but when I crouched down to peer in, the edges of what appeared to be dinner plates obscured the view within. Uh, Clara, where are you from? I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The scared voice called through the door. It was wrong. This couldn't be. But my family moved to Marshfield when I was ten. We have a large house near the beach, and I miss my dog. I miss my parents. <laughs> Please. She was sobbing then. I was too. This poor girl had been abducted. I reached the brass knob and tried it a few times. It was locked. I occasionally hear the rattle of a key, as if it's debating letting me go. I think it's out there somewhere. Her whimpering voice hit me like a gut punch. I then loathed my grandfather. I tried to justify his actions. I tried to convince myself his dementia had led him to believe this girl was some kind of monster. I tried, but could not. He'd never shown any glimpse of paranoia or mental instability. This was purely evil. I had to understand. Why did he lock you up? I asked, circling the dusty basement, searching for a key. It appeared empty aside from the cement, tarps, bricks, and putty knife, all laid out neatly to cover up the heinous crime. All while this poor girl starved to death in a cemented tomb. I have no idea. I did nothing wrong. I promise you. <laughs> the woman started weeping then. I couldn't take it. It was too horrible to imagine. My will to end her misery fueled my rage. And then I spotted the small key, high up and dangling from a string nailed to the back of a wooden support beam. I plucked the key off the beam and looked at it. It was ancient. An old primary key of tarnished metal that looked out of time. Dread rose the hair on my neck as I stared back at that door. What if it was all some manipulative trick? I wrestled with the decision of what to do next. This girl would die if left unattended. That was all it took for me to take a few deep breaths and approach the door. I slipped the key inside and turned, hearing a heavy click echo throughout the cold, concrete basement. I squeezed my eyes tight and then opened them to a squint as I pulled open the door, ready for some horror to yank me into the dark depths within. The smell of rot hit me, but there was nobody there, no monster, no abducted girl. There was just an empty closet space of old stone matching the home's exterior. And on the ground, plate after plate of untouched, moldy, and rotten food. It was impossible. I had absolutely heard that voice. I'd heard Clara Almonico beg for her freedom from just behind that door, yet nobody was within. I checked my phone again, feeling the hairs on my neck rise as the search results on screen were different than they were before. They now simply read, no results found for Clara Almonico. I didn't sleep that night. 
I closed and locked that door, but I somehow knew I'd messed up beyond words. I'd fumbled the most significant task of my existence. The back of my brain tingled with a special kind of horror that week as grim news stories began to surface. It chipped away at me as I read an article detailing the jump of murders and suicides throughout the state. There's been a slew of missing persons reports and a house fire that charred a family in their sleep one neighborhood over. It curdled my insides when I looked out the window to see a half dozen dead birds scattered throughout the lawn. Black clouds loomed in the sky the following morning and have persisted for three days now. Hard as I tried to justify what I heard clear as a bell, I was unable to. I could only think of those untouched plates of moldy food that had been pushed through the gap under the door time and time again. Food my grandpa had clearly slid under out of concern. The most damning revelation came today when I finally returned to the basement to brick over that door. It wasn't the faint set of bare footprints in the skim of the dust leading from that door. It was the receipt and the bag of tools he'd purchased along with the dusty cement. The receipt was from a year ago, from the day after my grandmother's death. Walling over the door had been her last request for him. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Tom. Don't forget to check out Sleepless Readings on YouTube to hear these stories first. And as always, stay sleepless.